you were to uh, turn on the TV and the first thing you hear is, and the winner is, aren't you immediately drawn in? I mean, aren't, don't you immediately want to know who the winner is? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's best villain or best picture. If someone says the winner is, you want to know who won, what did they win, and what's the prize, right? You know, did they win a million dollars? Did they win, you know, a fancy statue? Did they, what, what was it that they won? You want to know who won this, this thing? The, you know, in many of these competitions, maybe it's the, the Emmys or the Grammys or the Tonys or, or, or whatever, there's, there's people who, who judge there's certain categories that they're, they're rating and judging on. I mean, isn't that some part of the reason why we get upset at the Olympics? You know, we're watching, we watch, maybe we watch the figure skating or the gymnastics and we're like, no, our, you know, our skater, our gymnast was, was so much better. They, they did this bobble thing here. They, they rated us down more. And we, I mean, we don't even know what a triple Lutz is or a sow cow or whatever. And, you know, isn't a sow cow, isn't that like a mixture of a pig and a cow? I don't know. But, but the, 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 you know, they're saying all these different words. I'm like, no, 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 ours was better, right? Because ours is always the best, right? The, the USA should always win all the gold medals at every Olympics, right? I mean, I mean that's, that's how it should be. And when not, we, we get frustrated because someone, like someone judged inappropriately. How do we take judging into real life, right? I mean, in their book, Unchristian, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons uh, revealed the Barna study that, that said that it revealed six different behaviors, six different attitudes that the unbelieving world finds unattractive. Or as the title of their book says, unchristian. And one of those is behaviors is being too judgmental. See, the perception is that those, from those who are not believers, that Christians are prideful, that they are quick to find faults in others. And we all know people, we all know people, maybe we've done it ourselves, where, where we, we've caught ourselves being judgmental of others. I mean, maybe it's on one level, it kind of starts off as just going, oh, I noticed thing about them. And then, but sometimes that one thing we noticed begins to just kind of uh, uh, spiral into more of a judgmental attitude. And it's easy to do. It's easy. All of us have probably done it at some point or another. In fact, nine out of 10 young unbelievers say that judgmental is a good word to describe Christianity. And while noticing faults, is not a, it's not a bad thing. But how we address them and how we maybe help correct them in the lives of others and the lives of our friends can determine if we have a chance to help introduce them to Jesus. And I believe this, percep- this is a perception that we need to change. That instead of being quick, <clears throat> excuse me, instead of quick to, being, to point out faults, we need to be quick. Or instead of being quick to point out faults or quick to be prideful, we need to be quick to show grace quick to see what the good in others while helping them to achieve their potential as followers of Jesus. And while we want to help people follow Jesus and, and, and live a life that honors him, live a life that glorifies him, live a life that pleases him, and, and it, 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 it's helpful to, to know that the how is just as important as the what. The how we say something is just as important as the what we're going to say. It's possible to be right and wrong at the exact same time. Gentlemen, have you ever experienced this? You know, your wife asks something or you're having this conversation and you say the right thing the wrong way. 
And for all the points that you would have gotten for, for being helpful or encouraging or providing a, a proper critique, the, the how you said it just blew all your rightness straight out of the water. It's possible to be right and wrong at the exact same time. In life, though, you know, would you take advice from someone who's always right no matter what? That some, the other person is always wrong. That their way is always the right way. And it's always someone else's fault. So someone else's way is always the wrong way. That their way is always right. At some point, their pride gets in the way. At some point, you, you can no longer hear their advice for all the pride that's coming out. See, our, oftentimes, our judgments reveal wrong verdicts. See, only God and God alone, only his judgments are perfect. Ours are not. And so in our judgments, oftentimes we begin to stereotype those who are unbelievers. We begin to, they, they feel stereotyped by, by, by the things that we may say or, or how we might uh, direct their life. And so they feel stereotyped that we've cut them off. Maybe it's wrong timing. Have you ever done that? Maybe put the cart before the horse? You, know, you, you get a little bit ahead of yourself and so thinking that things were a little bit further along and, and you, you start trying to uh, accelerate that and you get things out of order. And sometimes we do that in, in, in life. In, in helping someone else and giving them a, a critique, we get the cart before the horse and we get things out of line. I mean, we're so used to helping people to try to be like Jesus. Sometimes we try to help unbelievers follow the Bible long before they even believe what the Bible says. And so we begin to push away life on them that they've not yet agreed to. And while they may be trying things out, there may be some things in their life that they naturally are agreeing with the Bible, sometimes we begin to uh, help them do things that they are not yet quite agreeing to. So oftentimes we have the, the wrong motivation. Have you ever just wanted to be right just to be right? You're in an argument, you're in a situation, and you know you're right, and you're just, you're, you put your foot down, and you're not moving. I'm right, and you're wrong. And sometimes we want to win the argument. We want to win the fight, but in, those, in, in so doing, we lose the relationship. And really, we should lead with love. Sometimes, sometimes we play favorites, don't we? Sometimes we hold certain people to a higher or lower standard than someone else. And so instead of uh, uh, holding it by to the same standard, instead of, instead of um, meeting it by in the same place, we sometimes we uh, hold certain people, we allow certain people to get by with things that we wouldn't let someone else get by with. See, everyone judges. All of, our, all of us think our judgments are right because if not, we wouldn't have them. We wouldn't share them, would we? If we're not sure, we're going, well, maybe I'm not so sure about that. But when we, but when we think we're right, we have... We have no problem sharing. But herein lies the rub. While we all do it, how can we help others in such a way that we can point people to be closer to Jesus? So today uh, we're going to see if Jesus has something that he can share with us about that. And, to, and so then we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is giving his rule of life. He's like, if this is how you're to live, if you're going to live as part of God's kingdom, here's, here's my advice, my direction. Here's how you're to live as citizens of God's kingdom. And, and I think if we, we read the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, if someone read the Sermon on the Mount not knowing it was the words of Jesus, I think everyone would agree that this, this would be a good way to live. 
that this would be a good way for, for us to, to live our life. It's hard to disagree with much of what Jesus teaches here, but the hard part isn't in the reading. It isn't in the saying of it. It's in the doing of it, isn't it? Living out these words can be difficult. If we want to do well, then we would do well to understand what Jesus says. And so Jesus says, it starts in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. He, read, he says this, he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the while there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This verse is misunderstood not just by Christians, but also unbelievers as well. And as we've looked at over the past few weeks, to, to, to gain a proper understanding, we, don't, we can't just take the one verse we want to look at, but we have to see it in its entire context. And so here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is kind of, as you read through Matthew 5 through 7, it seems like he's just kind of hop, skipping, and jumping all along, uh, giving different proverbs and different teachings that are maybe loosely connected together. And as he's doing so, uh, we need to remember that Jesus is not speaking 21st century American English that Jesus is probably speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, maybe even Greek, which was the common language of the day. And so say he's not, all the New Testament documents are written in Greek, were originally written in, in, in Greek, and so maybe you've got Jesus speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, and, and the writer, you have Matthew here, translating that into Greek. And then uh, for us, that's translated back out of the Greek into English. And so along the way, things can get lost in translation. So what is it that this means? Because the word judge in English can mean different things, and the word judge in Greek can mean different things as well. And so as we're looking through, we're going to look at that here in a little bit. And one thing to also note is that the Bible is its own best commentary. So as we look at this, we're going to see how is it, what's it say with what's going on around it, and what's it say, what else is said in the entirety of Scripture that will help us better understand this verse. And so Jesus has been teaching along and he comes to, you know, he comes out of this section where he says, hey, we need to, to we need to uh, depend fully upon God that we need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. And then he moves into this much more uh, practical kind of tone. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And the word judge, just like in English, in Greek, it has a few different meanings. It can mean to, to sift, to part, to, to differentiate, right? I mean, judge isn't always, you know, gavel in hand, slamming the, the, the bench. Judge can, we're, we're rating things. Like say, you, today on the way home, you need some apples for lunch. And so you go into the grocery store on the way home. You just grab a bag and just start throwing apples in the bag. You know, doesn't care what variety. It doesn't care what size. You know, or do you go, no, 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 no. I want Fuji or I want Gale or I want Honeycrisp. Those are the, the three favorites in the foster house. And, you know, do, do you want large apples or do you want small apples? Do you want apples that like, a, a small child can eat in one setting so they, they don't waste half the apple? Or do you just want huge apples because big apples are better, right? And so you know, we're going to cut these up and we're going to have apples for everyone. Now, you, when you look, you're looking at 
size and variety and you, you know, do I want do, do I care if they've got bruises or do I want them without bruises in our house we prefer them without bruises so when we take the apples and put the apples in the bag we're putting them in gently that's why we don't allow Josiah to touch the apples until he's eating them because all of a sudden it's like yeah we want that apple and that dude you're gonna bruise all the apples then we just have to make applesauce maybe that's what he's doing maybe he's like, I just want to make applesauce See, when we do this, though, we judge the apples. Maybe it's time for you to buy a new car. Who enjoys the car buying process? We, uh, uh, in our family, uh, not even like three months into our marriage, we got to experience the car buying process. That was one of the most stressful times in our entire marriage. Not just up to that point, I mean, the entire, our entire marriage. And so, uh, and so, so there, we, there, there we were. And, and, I mean, we didn't just walk on the lot and go, that's the one we want. Here's the money, and here we go. No, when you go to buy a new car, maybe you go to this lot and try that car. You go to that lot and drive that car. And you test and you see, you go, which one is going to fit our needs best? Do we want gas mileage? Do we need to haul a lot of people? Do we need a lot of power because we need to haul a lot of stuff? Or maybe we just need something that's fun and fast and sleek like a race car. Like I want that sports car right there. Yeah, and then you go and you find which one feels best, which one's going to perform best, which one is going to work best. For you, maybe you're like, you know, you know I, I don't need a new car. Maybe I, 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 I'm, I'm okay with the used car. So maybe you, you open up the, the classified ads. Maybe you get on Craigslist and you find a car. Do you just like go, oh, that's the one. And you go like take money and say, I'll just buy your car without driving it to see what problems are, may or may not be in that car. See, I mean, we, we test drive this car and we trust to drive that car. And, and, you know, you bicker, bicker and haggle on price and and when we do this, we, we judge the car, right? Judging this car versus that car, which one's going to work best for us? You might be saying, Mike, it's okay, it's okay to judge apples. It's okay to judge cars. They don't, they don't have feelings, but, but what, about, what about people? People, they're, they're a different story. And, and, and may I suggest that, that I, I think sometimes the way we hear the word judge it's not the way God, Jesus is using the word judge here, that it's okay to judge people to a point. Give me some leans here, and hopefully by the end you can understand where I'm coming from. Like parents, have you ever gone out to eat with your children? There you are, you're sitting at the table, and during the meal, one of them is just screaming uncontrollably. Right? I mean, they're just losing themselves. And the other one, the other one, the, 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 the good-natured one, they're, they're, but they're refusing to eat whatever they ordered, right? And so there you are at the table enjoying a nice dinner out. <laughs> and Mike, that's why we don't go out to eat. And so, um, so there they are. And you, 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 as you're sitting there, you're going, this behavior is wrong, right? And maybe you can correct it there. Maybe it's like, you know what? If we correct it here, it's going to make too much of a scene. When we go home, we're going to have a conversation. I know I heard that more than one time as a child. When we get home, you immediately straighten up, right? I mean, you, whatever, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing the exact opposite because I know when I get home, what I was doing is going to get me in trouble. So there you are. And you judge one behavior to be correct. Is that right? I mean, what were you judging the behavior to be wrong? Did you do the wrong thing? No. It wasn't wrong to judge because you sifted through the behavior. You differentiated. This was acceptable behavior. This was unacceptable behavior. See, I think 
a lot of times, another way to better understand this is the difference between a coach and a referee. Difference between a coach and a referee. The the number one rule I have with all the the youth sports teams that I coach is the first thing we do is we're going to play right. We're going to teach them the fundamentals. We're going to teach them the right way to play the game. We're going to teach them to do the right things so that together as a team we can succeed. And Jeremiah can uh, attest that in baseball practice, when we practice base running, if you miss a base, you do five push-ups. And believe it or not, it takes more than one time for a child to realize that they need to step on the base. That they need to not run out of the base path. When you run out of the base path, you do five push-ups. And there are some days we run the bases beautifully, and some days we get stronger. And that's okay, because we want to teach the kids to play the game the right way. Now, even though we teach them to play the right way, do they always play the right way? No. I mean, you can watch any Major League Baseball game today, and during that game, you're going to see grown men being paid lots of money to play a game, and they're going to make mistakes. They don't always hit the ball. Sometimes the ball goes between their legs. Sometimes they make a bad throw. Even the, even the professionals don't play, always play the right way. So the coach comes along and he sees something wrong with their throwing mechanics or their swing mechanics or, or the way that they're running, the way they're playing the game, and, and they correct that. They judge the mechanic, they, they judge the, acti- the action to be wrong, and they correct the air so that the individual and the team can play better together. Compare that to the referee. The referee is the final judge, right? I mean, the, the referee is the final authority on the rules of the game and how everything is to be played. And when the rules are broken, fouls are called, penalties assessed, and, and one team may gain an advantage. It's the referee's job to be the final authority on all the activity on the field of play. See, in our life, we ought to view ourselves as coaches and teammates and not referees. Our job is, in life is to see, as we go through life, as we see errors in the life of others, we're to come alongside and to correct them and to help them and to encourage them and say, hey, if we do this this way, together we will be better. Our job is to not wear the black and white striped shirt, to blow the whistle, to, to call the foul, to, to, to sit in the, in, the, in the seat of final authority, uh, pronouncing final judgment. See, in life, as we sit as coaches, we encourage others. We are tra- our, 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 our correction is to correct, to be helpful. And there are some coaches who do things better, right? I mean, there are some coaches who have their names on trophies and, and are, are well-known. And there are others, um, uh, there are others though, who, who uh, can teach people to a certain point and then Get, you know, they, they grow to, to another state place and another coach helps take over. And we together, together we try to help one another do better, to, to have a better life, to, to better fulfill what God desires for us. See, the rough decisions are final. They're, they're the judgment. And in life, God is the referee. He's the only one able. He's the only one worthy to be the final judge. See, God is the creator. He created everything we see. And he created everything, that, that people, all the material that people have used to create the other things that we have seen. 
And, and as God created the world, as he created this universe, as he created, he, he created with certain rules, certain laws, certain things to put in place to govern our life. And so for, as creator, as the uh, maker of the rules, he then put himself in the seat as ruler, as judge. So not only is God creator, he is the ruler, he is the judge over all of creation. At the end of time, when, when he says life is through, he will judge all the works and all the actions of, uh, and words and thoughts and feelings of men. And so he will judge all of creation, uh, creation past, creation present, creation future, according to his standard. And God and God alone can sit on that seat. So recognizing that, recognizing that we are not the final judge, that we are not the referee, recognizing that we need to sit in the seat as a teammate or, or a coach, we ought to help others do life better. And if you read through the text, notice that Jesus didn't say that we don't point out others' sins. He didn't, nowhere in here does he say, hey, don't take care of that speck in your brother's eye. Nowhere does he say, hey, just forget the speck in your brother's eye. But what he says is while you notice that, you best be recognizing that you've got this two-by-four hanging out of your face too, right? I mean, he makes this ridiculous picture, right? You know, you're, you're trying to get this like one speck of sawdust, this one little eyelash out of your friend's eye, but meanwhile, you've got this big old log hanging out of yours. Jesus didn't say, hey, forget your friend's speck. What he does say is, hey, first recognize, first recognize that you have some things going on too. You have some errors as well. We need to humbly acknowledge our own faults and accept correction from others so that together we're helping others follow Jesus. Paul writes this. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Caught in a sin? Caught in a sin? That means at some point along the way, we had to judge their behavior as wrong. We had to, to discern, we had to differentiate right behavior and wrong behavior. You, I noticed this behavior in you is, is not in line with God's teaching. And what do we do? Just write them off, cast them off, and say, ha, you're broken, you're out. No, 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 no. We, even we who are sinful, trying to live by the Spirit, we need to restore that person gently. Hey, I've seen this in your life. And I might have some faults too. But maybe we can work on this together. We restore them gently. See, on our own, this is not possible. We are all in need of the gospel. We are all works in progress. And to view God only as creator, and to view God only as ruler and judge is incomplete. Because God's not only the judge, he's also our redeemer. He's also our redeemer. He sent Jesus to die in our place because he knew that no matter how hard we try, we would never be good enough. We would never get it right. And only through the death and resurrection of Jesus would be restored to him and brought back to new life. See, we can't judge appropriately on our own. We need the assistance of God to correctly view our lives and the lives of others. And as we go through life, as we recognize these things, as we recognize our own need for a Savior, our own need for the gospel, our own need for grace, we correctly work with others and humbly uh, submit to their correction as we help lead them 
as well to be formed into the image of God. So there's a limit to how far our correction can go. I'm going to borrow this phrase from Andy Stanley. He, in teaching this very same topic, he said this. He said, the job of the Christian is to judge the believing and not the heathen. To, to judge or to, to correct those who are inside the church, those who have, who have agreed to uh, Scripture, those who have agreed to walk uh, and live according to the teachings of Jesus. Eh, but, th- but to those who may be on the outside, to those who may not uh, concur, those who, who, who may not yet believe, say, we, we can't force them to live according to God's rules. It's not our place to, to judge them because they've not chosen to come under the l- rule of God. And so when we tell unbelievers that their actions are wrong and that they're going to hell, it just reinforces this idea that Christians are judgmental. It makes us more of a people of law than a people of love. Did Jesus say, they will know you are my disciples by the way you keep the law. Or did he say, they will know you are my disciples by the way that you love. I would submit that sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to point out the errors in someone's life in a way that is corrective, in a way that is helpful, in a way that is restorative that they might follow steps of Jesus. So how does this look in our day-to-day life? The first thing I think we need to do is we need to correct, not condemn. We need to correct, not condemn. So as we notice errors in others' life, as we notice errors in our own life, we need to take a corrective stance. See, the biggest difference is that sometimes instead of we don't, we need to just point out the error and help them rather than condemn the behavior altogether. It's just as bad to allow an error to continue as it is to condemn someone for committing the error to begin with. So how do we provide correction? How do we help someone when we notice an error in their life? Do we offer it as a superior? Do we offer it as someone who's prideful? Do we see ourselves as someone better than them, that we have it happen to have our life all together? See, when we come from this angle, we appear judgmental and condemning. Jesus doesn't doesn't tell us not to discern between right and wrong. But he says in in the case we need to, we we, we not present ourselves in a judgmental way. We just need to realize that we are all, we're all still in process. We're all still in process along the way. None of us has arrived. None of us has it all together. The second thing we need to do is to restore and not write off. We need to restore and not write off. We don't know where other people are at in their journey. Are, are they just beginning? Have they just learned some of these things? Or maybe they're still dealing with some of uh, the, the, the baggage and hurts from their upbringing. Maybe some, there's, some, there's some things that have happened to them in their past that they're still working through in their process of being formed into the image of God. So as they're struggling with some things, we don't write them off. We seek to help restore them. And, uh, the, Jesus often called out the Pharisees in this. Because a lot of times they would uh, take the law and then they would heap on all these other things to help people stay away from breaking the law. And, and so in so doing, they would make it harder to believe. And so Jesus says, he would call them out and say, hey, you do this, but then you don't even follow your own teachings. You make it harder for someone to believe and then you don't help them in their walk. You don't help them 
fall in line. You don't help them do the right thing. You just make it harder. So instead of restoring them and helping them grow, Pharisees would see them breaking their laws and write them off as sinners and call them spiritual outcasts. But isn't the reality in our life that the Holy Spirit is calling and drawing all of us closer to Jesus to help us all grow to be more like him? Maybe it's leading us into a relationship with him. Maybe it's taking those first steps of faith. Maybe even those of us who've, who've walked with Jesus for many years, doesn't the Holy Spirit continue to call us to deeper walks with him, to point out those areas in our life that are still out of line, to help us to be more conformed to the image of Jesus? So when someone notices something wrong in our life, wouldn't we want them to help come alongside us and correct us and to help us to be more like Jesus. Final thing we need to do is to love them and not leave them. Love them and not leave them. We should always lead with love. When we lead with love, when we show the grace that has been shown us through Jesus, when we do this, our correction will go further. It's more likely that will be accepted. It will be heard correctly because it will be heard through the language of love and not that of a judge. So we need to remember that Jesus stood in our place as our Redeemer. That God showed us His love while we were still sinners. While we were still far from Him, He sent Jesus to die for us. And He could have rejected us. He could have discarded us. He could have called us broken. He could have called us a failure. But instead, He stood in our place and showed us the fullness of His love. And while we are not asked to die for others, we are called to love others, to show them the same love that they've shown us. That in so doing, we show ourselves to be Jesus' disciples. See, there's only one judge. There's only one referee, only one worthy to sit on the judgment seat and pronounce judgment on the hearts and minds of men. And that is not me. That is not you. Our job is to not sit in the seat of judgment. Instead, we, are, we ought to see ourselves as coaches and teammates, lovingly coming around others to help correct the errors in their life and receive correction from them for the errors in ours. And when we do this, we all get better. God is glorified, and we get to help others find new life in Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this difficult word that sometimes is hard for us to live out. Because sometimes we just want to be right. Sometimes we just want to win the argument. Father, sometimes we are so zealous about trying to live for you that we get the cart before the horse and we don't allow people to take their own journey in their own pace, at their own timing. So, Father, I pray that today you would help us to engage others in a way that is best and right and fitting to, to glorify you. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to be open to correction ourselves, realizing that we are not, we've not arrived, but that we are still all works in progress. Father, I thank you for your spirit that you've given each and every one of us who believes. Father, you've come alongside of us. You've put your voice and your spirit in us to, to shape and change and mold us. 
to direct us to be more like your son. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that today as we leave, that we can leave with the right mindset. You would use us to draw others to know you. That they may live their best life through you. That we might be open to seeing how you can, you want to continue to make us like yourself. Father, I thank you for salvation. That you didn't leave us as broken. That you didn't leave us as failure. But that, Father, you have given us your greatest gift, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Maybe today you need to come and accept the